Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, my my engineer created this music that we're hearing. He, he did it deliberately so that uh, he would keep his job because it was supposed to turn down the volume. But be that as it may, I'm, re- I'm really glad you're here tonight. We have a very interesting program, and I hope you learn a lot. Our first guest is John en- Enright from Hostway. He's, he's going to talk about compliance in in, uh, in protecting data and uh, a lot of other things. But as we do with every uh, guest, John, welcome to the program, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Don. Yeah, thanks. Um Well, uh, I got my start um, in business about 20 years ago. I started uh, one of the first uh, hosting companies in the U.S. Uh, This is back when the Internet was first um, really coming of age. It was really right around the time that the web was uh, first created. Um, I worked for an ISP back then, and we were getting a lot of requests from customers that wanted their own website. So myself and a couple of other people started a company that specialized in that, in in um, offering website services. And back then we had to kind of figure everything out from scratch. Uh, you know, we were kind of just inventing stuff. And um, you know that was that was a challenge. The good news is that um, you know there was tons of demand. So our our biggest challenge was just kind of keeping up with our our growth and uh, scaling the business. Um, and that that worked out uh, quite well. Um, we were very successful and, and built up a loyal uh, base of customers, and uh, we wound up um, selling that business to Hostway, uh, which is the company that I am work, work at uh, to this day. Um, and my role here now is I'm in charge of our small business services, um, uh, specifically the ones that are um, – you know, aimed at helping small businesses uh, get on the web and and um, and succeed on the web. Well, you know, I I just saw a statistic today that said that um, uh, less less than fifty percent of uh, small businesses are really on the web uh, doing doing things to generate sales, but that number is going to go up, and uh, the sophistication of small businesses is going to expand. Um, but with it comes an awful lot of exposure. Uh, I, I just got my new bill from our insurance company today, and uh, with a whopping 45% premium, and we don't even do e-commerce. So uh, your visit today uh, is, for me, very uh, uh, timely. Uh, we want to talk about uh, protection, about avoiding litigation. So I'm just going to say the floor is yours. Uh, tell us what you want to say. Sure. Well, I mean that's that's an amazing stat to start with. That um, you know, still about half of businesses don't really have a um, active presence on you know on the web, and yet it's such a great opportunity. Um, you know, the web is like the great equalizer. You know, you can um, these days you know build a, a fully functional storefront. Um, for uh, a very very small inv- investment, you know, for less than really twenty dollars a month, um, you can have um, a full featured uh, storefront with a catalog and um, you know and, and be able to, to generate sales and take credit cards. Uh, so that's a lot of power. Uh, and you know, it, and if you have a good uh, presence and you've designed your site well and you have a great product, 
uh, you can, you know, go head to head against, uh, you know, anybody because, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, people can't see what size you are. So a small business looks just as professional um, as a, you know, business that has been in, in um, uh, operation for, for years. But the, um, you know, with great power comes uh, some accountability. So, you know, there's lots of regulations these days about um, how you can store and um, process information, and especially around uh, very sensitive information. And uh, credit card data definitely falls into, into that category. Um, there's um, a uh, standard out there called uh, PCI, and the full name is PCI DSS, and that stands for Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard. And that sounds very bureaucratic because uh, it is. Uh, if you um, uh, go and actually uh, uh, look at the standard, you can see it for yourself. There's a good website, PCISecuritystandards.org. That's the actual official uh, website for the, the standard. And what it is, it's a group of uh, companies, the, the companies, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover, got together and they created a set of rules and guidelines for businesses on um, how to handle credit card information. Because, and I think everyone has really seen this uh, lately, businesses of any size um, can, uh, can and do get compromised all the time. And there have been some very high-profile uh, security breaches, um, you know, with very large companies like Target and so on, where, um, you know, millions of credit card um, uh, numbers have been stolen along with, uh, you know, cardholder data. And for every high-profile incident like that, there's also, you know, thousands and thousands of others that happen to smaller merchants who are, um, you know, careless in the way that they're um, they're, they're handling uh, credit card data. So, is it, you know, it, it's... Um, Regulations are kind of a, a double-edged sword sometimes, but this is a good thing. It's it's actually um, a good guidance on things that businesses should be doing um, and best practices on on the way that they're handling credit card uh, uh, data. But if you look at the at the um, at the at the, the standard itself, they have a a quick reference guide on that website, and it's 115 pages, and that is the you know the quick reference guide. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's good nighttime uh, reading if you have have trouble going to sleep. But uh, um, you know, within that are actual. These are good um, rules that businesses definitely should be following. Uh, the, you know, the good news is you don't have to adhere to every single rule in you know the 115 pages. Uh, some of it won't apply to certain businesses, and and it depends on um, whether or not you're actually storing credit card data uh, locally or um, whether you're using an intermediary uh, like PayPal. But there's 12 basic components, and, and just to give you an idea. Um, uh, these are things like that that just make uh, sense that are common sense like um, use very strong passwords for all of your internal and external accounts that's you know that's definitely um, something that that all businesses should be doing uh, you know with all of their accounts uh, and and certainly as it regards anything that relates to um, uh, credit card information uh, another key point is limiting the access that people have to credit card information. Um, you know, only people that absolutely need to see credit cards within your business or organization uh, should ever be exposed to them. And, you know, in most cases, um, businesses can operate completely, totally functionally with zero people in their, in their, in their company actually have a, having access to, um, you know, the full um, uh, credit card information of, of customers. You know, usually it's just maybe last four digits of a credit card to verify something for somebody uh, in support. They don't need to see the the whole uh, card number. And all of that is spelled out, um, uh, you know, in this um, in in this standard. But you know, um, you know, and a lot of people uh, might think, well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. I, I'm a, a small business. I only do you know maybe a few thousand dollars a month uh, through my website. This this uh, standard actually applies to every single business that handles credit card information in any way, shape, or form. So even if you don't even have a online storefront at all and you only uh, uh, take credit cards in person, this still applies to you. It applies to absolutely everybody that 
uh, comes in contact with our credit card information. So, um, and if you're, and you know, another common misconception as well, you know, I'm not a big target. I'm not, I'm, you know, uh, no pun intended there uh, with, with target actually being a target. But, um, you know, a lot of businesses say, um, I'm just a small guy. No one's going to try to hack into into my account um, or, or my website. And, and actually nothing could be further from the truth. You know, um, for hackers, someone like Target is um, very difficult. Uh, there's, you know, there's a big company. They have tons of uh, uh, security personnel and they, um, they're they a very well-operated uh, uh, company. Um, but smaller businesses, because they're not really oftentimes aware of what the best practices are, are uh, easier to exploit. Um, you know, oftentimes small businesses don't have good passwords. And what these attackers do is they scan with automated programs uh, looking for web addresses and login pages that have bad passwords. And it's all automated. So it doesn't matter who you are or what business you're in or what size you're in. You know, if you have a presence on the Internet, um, you know, security is something that you should be um, thinking about. You should basically assume that someone is attempting to hack into your uh, into your website at, at all times because that's uh, actually not at all far from uh, uh, from the truth. As a hosting provider, you know, we we um, serve about uh, 500,000. Uh, individual small businesses, and uh, we host a, a total of about a million different um, uh, web addresses. And we have six data centers uh, spread across North America. And in, at any given time, uh, there's always someone. We can see we have lots of tools on our end that, that, that analyze network traffic, and we can see that there are there's a constant barrage of inbound probes of kind of hackers looking for um, uh, good targets that they can they can exploit. So, so what I would recommend is um, a, a few things. So, you know, first I think it's important for all small businesses to become uh, familiar with um, uh, with with things like the the PCI uh, standard. And you know, it's a it's a good idea to go to the website and just familiarize yourself with some of the best practices. You know, maybe not read all 115 pages, but actually I do recommend kind of just scanning through what the the 12 components are. And uh, and just making sure that um, uh, that you know you're following the the practices that that apply to you. It's you know and and the key thing to recall here is that it's not a it's not a optional thing. It's absolutely mandatory. Um, it's something that the banks require um, their their customers to do. Um, and you know where this really becomes important is in terms of liability. So, uh, you know, the banks are the ones that enforce this and there are like some potential fines if you're if they find that you're not um complying with the uh with the standard. But really the the greater exposure is if someone actually does manage to steal credit cards from your business, um you know, you open yourself up to a lot of liability where if it's proven that you're negligent because you know you had bad passwords or you didn't change the default password for for some program, um, you know, then, then you're really exposed from a, a liability perspective. Well, uh, but uh, what I would recommend is, go ahead. No, you first. Go ahead. Well, what I would recommend is, I, I think that the, um, you know, a couple of basic things, right? Become familiar with the uh, with the standard. Uh, you know, go through it. Make sure you understand that the best practices. There's a self-assessment. So for most. Um, Small businesses, they would be called a um, – there's different levels, one through four. And there's more and more requirements as you go up and you do more volume in, uh, in terms of transactions. Most small businesses would be the bottom level, uh, which is um, a level four. And that's if you do less than 20,000 um, uh, transactions, credit card transactions uh, per year. And if that's the case, and you can, the requirement is that you do a self-assessment, and then there's a little questionnaire, and you can kind of go through that. Highly recommend it. Um, uh, it, uh, you know, you kind of fill out. Um, it's almost like a little checklist uh, to uh, verify that you're complying with with a lot of these regulations. Um, and in general, I would. My, uh, I would treat credit card information as if it's radioactive, um, and you know, uh, it, it, you really—it's like a um, something that you want the least amount of contact with uh, uh, humanly possible, both within your organization and your, and your employees, 
and um, you know also in terms of how you handle and, and retain that data. There are a couple of simple things that businesses can actually do to avoid cre storing credit cards entirely. So if you have an e-commerce storefront, for example, one of the things you can do is uh, if you're a small business and, you, and you're not doing a huge amount of transactions over the web, you can use PayPal. And with PayPal, uh, you may have used a, a shopping cart experience where you're on a website, and then to check out, they refer you over to PayPal. You plug in your credit card information, and then they refer you back to the website uh, and confirm that the tr transaction was completed. By doing that, you're not touching the credit card at all, so you don't have to store it. You don't have to encrypt it. Um, you avoid a lot of the requirements that are um, that are in the uh, in the PCI standard, um, it, you accomplish the same goal. You're still actually getting uh, completing the transaction with the merchant, um, uh, and uh, you know, and and uh, but then not having to actually store that uh, that, that credit card information. Um, yeah. So uh, even though it's um, you know it seems pr uh, pretty onerous and. Uh, uh, and and um, complex. It's a good thing. It's um, it's something that's uh, useful material in terms of how to avoid um, uh, getting compromised uh, from a security perspective. I would say a lot of these practices uh, apply not just to credit card information, but to all data. Even if you don't uh, um, handle credit card information, all businesses have some sensitive information that they don't want um, uh, public, and a lot of these guidelines are just good security practices. Um, so uh, um, it's definitely something that I think all businesses uh, should be aware of. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, let's say I'm a small business, and I do have a, a hack, and it turns out I don't. Who uh, uh, generally sues you, the insurance uh, the Credit card companies that lost money, the individuals, who's who's the one that uh, generally goes out after these uh, people? Yeah, it's, it's a wide variety. Um, you know, even the even the credit card issuing uh, banks. So uh, banks that have issued um, personal credit cards now have to reissue those credit cards, um, and that's an expense that they're incurring. And um, uh, you know, and they could go after the. Um, negligent merchant uh, uh, for that. So you kind of get, you you um, uh, get uh, uh, a lot of, you get into a lot of nasty situations from many different, uh, from many different angles. And that's why it's something that, uh, you know, that you absolutely want to avoid. There, there are lots of stories of, of merchants, uh, especially on the smaller end, um, that are compromised and, and, and it's, uh, it's a death blow. You know, they, um, uh, you know, they, they have um, in, enough liability ramifications that it's a kind of a you know business continuity um, event. So it's something that businesses should take very seriously. Um, you know, especially since these days, um, so many transactions are credit card based um, for so many businesses. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to think of businesses that don't uh, deal with with credit cards on a on a regular basis. So um, you know, it's something that should be top of mind for 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 um, for anybody that, that that does credit card business, I just read that Norway expects for, by the year 2020 to be a totally cashless society. Um, uh, that really, uh, uh, but uh, is there insurance available? Uh, uh, do you know of uh, to protect you against that? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, that is an excellent question. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, th this is kind of an evolving uh, space, and um, uh, certainly it's, it, insurance companies cover almost any type of, of business risk, um, and I'm, I'm sure that this is part of, um, you know, a, um, a policy that, that, that you can ob obtain. As to what the premiums are, um, I don't know. Um, and, you know, as to whether or not a, a standard policy would cover, um, you know, security breach, uh, you know, I also don't know. Well, the best way to avoid that is to is to not is to not be in that situation. But I think that's also something to uh, you know that that businesses should consider is, is level of insurance as a way to mitigate mitigate risk. Yeah, well, they have to develop the risk. Well, you, you've mm -hmm. been in this business uh, a long time. Uh, let's kind of uh, uh, slide over a little bit, and um, you've seen the, uh, this industry evolve over. Uh, uh, 20 years, and now you're into what makes up 
a good small business e-commerce site in your view? Well, you know, I think the number one thing that um, a lot of businesses uh, lack is a call to action, right? So if um, – and this applies to everybody. It doesn't matter whether or not you're, like, actually selling a product or um, or you're trying to generate leads, um, uh, you know, if you're a photographer and you're selling a service. If you, if you look at a lot of small business websites, uh, they're very informational and – there's no uh, there's no compelling reason to engage and take an action and the the web is like a 24/7 automated salesperson and um you know if you just like in in real life if you don't close the deal if you don't if someone walks into your store and they're browsing and you know you don't uh approach them and engage with them and say hey how about this you know and um, if they if they leave the store without making a transaction, you're probably not going to get them back, um, and that's the way to think about a website as well. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, so I'd say what makes a good the difference between a good effective uh, a website and you know and one where it's really hard to measure what it's doing for you is a discrete call to action where you know maybe uh, and a lot of businesses have more to offer than they realize. Um, so you know, one simple thing to do is a free quote. Um, or, you know, sometimes if you want to catch um, people that are browsing and looking for more information, you can offer a guide or a white paper in exchange for an email address. So they just quickly type in their email address and they can download um, maybe a, a guide to, um, you know, uh, you know the, the five things you want to ask your wedding photographer, or something along those lines. Um, and then you're gen- now it's an action. You're generating leads, and it's measurable. And you can kind of see. I think a lot of people are also surprised when they do things like that at uh, what the response rate is uh, and how many people are actually visiting visiting their their site. Uh, sometimes it's in a uh, uh, an awakening, like wow, you know, there's actually lots of people that are interested in in information about what I have to uh, what I have to offer. But you won't know that unless you unless you have a, a, an action that uh, that you're driving towards. John, our time has uh, uh, gone by rapidly. Um, the, the name of your company and how people can learn more about it? Yeah, so we're Hostway, um, and, uh, you know, we service uh, businesses of all types. You know, um, our specialty is um, enabling businesses on, on the web. So we offer solutions that start at less than $20 a month, less than $10 a month, um, and we scale all the way up to to very large, complicated um, uh, websites. You know, we host Samsung, Fox News, uh, Wix. Um, so we're kind of the hosting company you, you can't outgrow. And uh, you can uh, visit us on the web at www.hostway.com, H-O-S-T-W-A-Y.com. And our 800 number is 866-467-8929. Even if you're not really sure kind of what you're looking for on the web, you know, just you just know you want a website or um, you know you want you want to experiment with uh, with e-commerce. You know, our our team is there and can answer your questions. Uh, Those guys are 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 really great. Um, No question is is too basic for us. Um, And uh, yeah, and uh, you know it's a Rewarding business to help uh, enable companies to, um, you know, to kind of succeed on the web. It's always great to see uh, the impact that the web has on, on businesses. Uh, sometimes it's a transformative thing for them uh, to 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 take that step onto the web. So we're we're happy to to facilitate that. Well, John, can you stay on the line? Our next guest is talking about outsourcing, sure. and you're an outsourcing firm. And and, um, and I, boy, I wish I'd known about you years ago. But uh, would you mind staying on while uh, our ne- next guest, Michelle Coco, who's CEO of Virtual Associates of the United States, is going to join us and uh, uh, chime in whenever you want. I'm sure, sure. To stay good. on. All right. Michelle, are you on? Hi, the- how are you? Uh, I'm fine. Welcome to the program. You, we were just talking with John Enright. Of Hostways, and uh, when uh, uh, information about you came across my desk, I thought it'd be a great program. Um, so uh, we've asked John to stay on. Um, great, great. Go ahead, Michelle. Uh, well, my company, uh, we are before virtual you, service. Oh, Michelle, before you do that, well, tell us a little bit about yourself personally. 
We oh, I'm sorry. Know. Okay. Hi. Um, my name is Michelle Coco, and I uh, started this business a few years ago. I worked in the finance accounting industry for about 20 years now. I was a bond trader originally, and uh, parlayed that into working for various finance uh, accounting departments and was very interested in the whole virtual working uh, environment. And so a few years ago, a good opportunity came along that, you know, I was able to start, you know, my own business, and I've just been building it up since then, and I love it. Well, we're glad to have you on the program. But Thank you. We, uh, we, we, we want to talk. John's been t- uh, telling us about... Um, what the minimum you have to do uh, to protect your data, but now you're you're talking about outsourcing. So and and you said said the virtual environment. What do you mean by the virtual environment? Well, what I mean by that is you're not necessarily going into someone's office each day. Um, you're working from you know you may be working in an office your own little office somewhere, rented space, or you could be working from your home computer in your home. But you're not going into a, a building each day to go to work. And, and and what does your company do? Um. Well, what how we work is uh, a business may call us to, let's say somebody needs some content for their website written. I have people that will write the content and we deliver whatever they they want, whether that be content or let's say they need accounting services. Uh, we will do their monthly accounting for them. Um, and now QuickBooks Online is a uh, you know a big one um, that a lot of people use. So basically, their accounting system is online. You they give you your username and password. You log in and take care of reconciling their bank account, different accounting functions. Um, and you do that monthly. So there's a, there's a whole host of things that people will ask you to do. Um, but it's not it's done virtually, and that cuts out the overhead for companies. They're, you know, they don't have the health insurance um, and the benefits to pay. So it, it saves, saves money, and they don't have to have a dedicated person in-house because they may not need that dedicated person to work for them 40 hours a week. They might not have the work for them to do. Well, uh, both of you, uh, John and Michelle, both of yep. you are really part of uh, what is a, a rapid um, uh, change in this world. Where, uh, I saw a statistic uh, yesterday which seemed to indicate that uh, uh, more and more, I, I think the figure was uh, – 31% of uh, all small businesses, and, and we define it here as, as 50 and under. That's our audience, 50, but um, 100 employees or less um, uh, uh, are now outsourcing at least one function uh, to, to what you're calling the virtual uh, world. Uh, John's company, uh, you're outsourcing the management of your uh, uh, website. So you're you're two of a, a trend. Do, um, do you think uh, that this uh, this trend will continue? Uh, well, obviously most people do, but but um, uh, what do you think will happen over the next? I think it will uh, continue, but I think there's you know there's things that people need to be aware of when when outsourcing. Um, I want to recommend that you take your law, the largest project you have going on and say, and that be the first time you outsource. Um, I think, you know, you take little tasks here and there, test the waters, see how you like it, see what type of personality you work well with, and you, 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 it's a build-up. But I think that if, if you do it that way and you become more comfortable with it, um, you know, then the chances are you'll have a better experience and more and more people will be doing it. I, my company, we don't outsource to anybody that's not in the United States, and um, for many reasons, because of the language barrier, sometimes the time differences. And I, my opinion is that there's a 
plenty of people here in the United States that are talented, um, you know, that can do the work. Now, the flip side of that is people say, well, you know, I can get it done much cheaper um, when it's not done by somebody in the United States, and that may be true. And I'm not saying that they can't get it done right, but I've had some people go through bad experiences um, when you're dealing with the language barrier um, and, and they end up having to have the work redone. So you're really not saving money that way. But I think if, you know, people are aware of some of the things to look out for, I think that they'll have success, and I definitely think it's a growing field, definitely. What do you think, John? Yeah, so it's pretty amazing what you can uh, get done um, with uh, with a very small operation. So, you know, if I could go back in time 20 years and, and restart uh, the company I started back then, I, I think I could save a million man hours uh, because I w- there were so many things I had to do directly, uh, create, uh, that just you can – you can just buy today, uh, you know, and think about like the uh, just advances in in um, technology, where you know before businesses had you know entire payroll departments, and now uh, you know no one has a, a payroll department. It's uh, you know it's an right. automated thing, and you know uh, you know an ADP you know takes takes care of that for um, uh, for everybody. You know, I think uh, uh, the ability to scale and u- utilize um, resources and to be able to tap into um, uh, you know, an external service and, you know, get a few quick things done without having to, um, you know, hire an additional staff member, uh, you know, that that's that's huge. Uh, it's just amazing. It's amazing what a, what a, what, um, what a business can accomplish with just one or two or three people. Uh, you can grow to, um, you know, uh, 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 several hundred thousand or even millions of dollars in, in revenue um, and, and still have fewer than than five people, which I, I think simply was not possible, um, you know, just uh, just 10 right. or 20 years ago. I totally agree, and I think that, uh, you know, finding uh, the right people and, and again, you know, do, going in small steps, delegating small tasks at first and then building up to your, your bigger task is mm-hmm. makes such a huge difference um, in your overhead and your payroll expenses uh, it just makes more sense. It just makes more, you know, it just makes more business sense. And you have, and when you, you know, you go outsource virtually, you have a larger talent pool to look at versus, you know, if you're just going to stay in your immediate area where someone has to drive to you. Uh, that, that's a great comment. But let me ask you, Michelle, um, what will, what are the two or three questions that you should be asking when you're deciding to uh, uh, do uh, uh, outsource something within your within your your company that you're do, either doing in in house or uh, realize you have to do. Uh, well, are you asking me what you should ask the person that you're looking to hire? Um, yeah. If that's the question, I would ask. You know, obviously, you want to know their background information. If you know. And maybe and ask for references. So let's say they they said, oh, I'm a web designer. Well, then you want references, and you want to you know see the kind of work they've done and check up on their references. Uh, and then you want to ask them, you know, uh, how they're going to be handling your project, and how they're are they going to give you daily updates, things like that. How you're going to work communication because that's important because they're not sitting right in front of you, so you can't just walk up to them anytime you want and ask them a question. And, you know, certain people get annoyed if they can't, you know, get their answer immediately. So that's an important thing to to nail down how you want your communication handled when you're working with somebody. And the references, making sure that they really know what they say they know. A great answer. Uh, John, what should a small business uh, owner be asking your company in terms of, of deciding to, uh, to either upgrade or, or start a, a website? Well, you know, when you're working with a hosting provider, it's kind of like working with a bank uh, in that, you know, a bank is a 
a firm that's going to uh, store your money and make sure it's secure and make sure that no one else can get to it. Hosting companies are kind of the same thing for data, uh, where we're going to store your data, we're going to make sure it's backed up, we're going to make sure that no one else can get to it. Um, so you want to work with a company that um, has uh, good, solid facilities, that has uh, that operates their own data centers, uh, that has 24-7 support, so that if something goes wrong at 1 o'clock in the morning, you can call in and immediately get somebody on the phone. You want to make sure the company actually offers phone support. Uh, a lot of companies don't offer uh, support over the phone. It's, it's email only. That makes a huge difference. You want to be able to talk to another human being uh, and you know get a direct answer to your question rather than going back and forth uh, via email. Um, you know, I, honestly, though, the good, the good news is that there's um, uh, a lot of reputable companies out there. Um, uh, you know, we're one of the largest in in North America, but. Um, uh, there are other other guys out there too. Um, you know, another thing I would recommend is um, also if if um, you know if you'd like to accomplish a a complex project, um, there are a lot of good local integrators out there. A lot of good uh, companies that specialize um, that are kind of like agencies that will help you um, uh, you know develop your website. They'll help you design it. Uh, they'll help you architect it. Um, and in that case, it's it's good to work with somebody local that you can actually, um, you know, sit across the table from, uh, just like you would, uh, you know, an, an ad agency. And we actually, that's also a large uh, portion of our customers, our agencies like that, that um, work with their small business clients and, um, you know, help them, help them get up and running. Well, uh, Michelle, what are the types of... Uh, You've indicated some of them, but um, what 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 are the you, uh, the majority of the requests you get from small business? Uh, to oh well, uh, web, web sometimes website design, uh, a lot of uh, maybe updating their website. Um, I get a lot of requests for content writing, a lot of requests for um, content management. And setting up SEO, you know, their their social media platforms. It's uh, you know, setting up websites um, is a big one because a lot of small businesses, you know, don't have websites, believe it or not, or they do, but they don't keep them updated, and they don't understand the importance about blogging um, and how that you know all works into the traffic generation that you're going to hopefully gain over time. So I think that's a biggie, the web, the web design and the content and accounting um, are the three biggies. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I, th- I think, you know, a lot of uh, uh, businesses for them, uh, you know, coming up with content and uh, and design is not really part of their, their core competency. Um, you know, when you're thinking about build, building a website, it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is marketing and, and um uh, you know, figuring out how you're going to appeal to visitors and get your unique differentiator across. Um, so, working with a partner uh, like that, where where um, you know you have the skill set uh, to help that small business uh, through that process and uh, do that content generation for them, is huge. And, and of course, the, their you know the biggest challenge is time. Like, who has the time to developing content? You got to sit down and think about it, and and really you know put, put several hours into it. Uh, being able to work with a partner to get that done, uh, like your services, uh, is is great. Huge, huge, huge time saver for for businesses. That's awesome. Right, and that big thing now is the uh, video marketing. Um, so that's taking your, uh, you know, your information from your website and uh, you know doing video blogging, video advertising. That's really big now. Everybody's pushing the video end of it. Well, well, how do you handle that? Uh, you need somebody to uh, go and film it, um, Michelle. Um, well, no, I mean, it, no. Well, I guess if you're talking about a commercial, yeah, you'd need somebody to go film it. More so, it's somebody taking, um, whether it be like a whiteboard uh, screenshot, something like that, and putting them into a video format. Um, which is, you know, done through video editing, um, video editing software. It's not necessarily going out with your, you know, video camera and shooting a scene. Um, although it could be, but for the most part it's not. Um, and, and that's really a lot. They say like 
uh, more people will cl- would rather click on a video ad than read something on a blog. Hmm. Well, um, how have you handled that change, John? How has your company handled? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's uh, spot on. You know, I think a lot of pe- people, when they're searching for things on the web these days, are looking for information and they're looking for, um, you know, how to do something. So if you have a uh, tutorial um, and it's just a walkthrough on on video, uh, that's that's pretty engaging. And content like that is what keeps people on your website. You know, uh, if you compare the the size of websites these days to where they were, uh, you know, back in the in the early days, you know, in the early days, uh, it was just a, enough to have a very static site, just text, um, you know, maybe a couple of images. Uh, these, and, you know, it was very small. Like it was, um, you know, if your website was a few megabytes, that would be a lot. Uh, these days, the sites are all multimedia, video, um, you know, lots of uh, uh, animation, and that's what gets customers in, engaged. You know, if they're if they're watching a, a, a video, they're spending a whole lot more time. Uh, interacting with your brand um, than they are if they're just clicking through and and off to the next thing. And if you're, you know, if you're informing the customer, if you have that uh, that extra information, uh, if you're educating them and your competitors aren't, uh, you win that business. You know, you're you're going to be seen by the the visitors as the expert um, uh, in the field. So uh, that's I a totally big thing. You know, trying to gain, uh, you know gain a reputation of being somebody who is very knowledgeable about a particular in a particular area about a particular subject topic. And when you're working in a in a virtual world now, you know, it's it's not just a matter of setting up your computer and saying, "Here I am." You really have to understand a lot about what is going on in the virtual world, like the video marketing, understanding that, you know, a lot of people now use their phones to do research, so making sure your site is optimized. So it it is viewed the same as it would be viewed on a computer uh, in, in a mobile setting, you know, on your mobile phone. So, you know, when you're working in a virtual world and you have clientele, you need to, you know, you need to educate yourself about all of this. Well, you know, that's a, Michelle, that's a wonderful segue into our next guest. But before we do, um, how do people uh, find you, Michelle? Okay, my website is myusavirtualhelp.com, and my toll-free number is 844-487-2827. Well, um, uh, our next guest is here to talk about... Uh, She's from uh, Better Doctor, and she's here to talk about healthcare trends. But I, uh, I want to let her know that I know she's on waiting. But okay. I'd like to ask, but I'd like to ask both of you a question: uh, healthcare sure. education uh, and, and consumers and everything that's happening over the last year. How has that affected uh, how you? you uh, well, we'll start with John. How has that affected your? Um, uh, the development of, of uh, uh, websites, et cetera. Um, is there a different world when it comes to that? Well, you know, healthcare is, on the web is uh, gigantic. Um, and, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a resource for information, and, and that's a huge thing that uh, subject matter that people are looking for more information on. And it's also one of the other areas that's uh, heavily um, – are regulated where there's um, lots of compliance um, uh, rules. That's called the HIPAA uh, standard, something that applies not only to the web but to all handling of uh, of patient information. Um, and that's another thing that people are actually looking for uh, for more information on. Healthcare is is definitely a huge huge part um, uh, of the web in 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 general. It's a very very large um, you know industry that's very very focused on on the web for sure. There's big changes in that too. Did you see the? There's advertisements now, where you can Skype um, a doctor now, and they yes. can, you know, I don't, know, you know, if you're broken arm, you need to go to the emergency room. But if you have a cold or something, apparently there's ads on now that you can Skype a doctor um, online and, you know, explain your symptoms, and they can, you know, 
try to diagnose you for, on, online. Well, the world is changing, uh, uh, and they're even being paid for doing that. But an interesting thing, a statistic which I tweeted uh, two days ago, is the fact that 50% of um, Americans never seek uh, uh, information about medical conditions, and another 37% rarely do it. Uh, that, uh, that, that statistic absolutely blew me away. Um, That's surprising. But, you, you would think that, yeah, that that is surprising. That it was surprising. It was so surprising to me that I had to tweet it. Um, but uh, John and Michelle, you're welcome to stay on, or or you can go go away. Uh, when we, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 bring our next guest on, and I'm sure hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly because I've been um, uh, Diva Raghaven the senior analyst uh, at Better Doctor, but I'm sure I uh, I didn't uh, pronounce your name right. Uh, it was pretty good, Divya Raghavan. Oh, I'm glad. With a name like Mazzello that's been butchered all his life, I try to do it. But um, uh-huh. uh, Diva, welcome to the program. And before we do anything else, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we talk about anything else. Me personally, I'm from Cleveland originally. I currently live in San Francisco, and I work at Butter Doctor, a doctor search website. Um, I did my undergraduate degree at Harvard, and um, I did a master's in psychology as well. Oh, a Harvard grad. My uh, my wife. Uh, on on with it is uh, with us is John Enright from Hostway and Michelle Coco from Virtual Associates of the United States. But you're here to talk about trends in health care and uh, how to improve uh, consumer ma- health management. So uh, the, these two, our first two guests, uh, well, uh, John has certainly given us a lot to think about when talking uh, about protecting data, and Michelle has been talking about uh, outsourcing, and now you're here to talk about health care uh, trends doesn't quite fit, but I had to get you on the program. So tell us what's happening. Sure. So um, Better Doctor did we did a healthcare cost index. So we looked at the most expensive states for medical care and the cheapest states for medical care, and we found that um, it varies a ton. It can be you know four times as expensive to get uh, treatment for the same condition in you know New Jersey versus West Virginia. So there's just a huge amount of variance in pricing. And, I mean, we all know healthcare is it's a black box. You you have no idea what something's going to cost until three months later. You'd never do that in a, in a grocery store. You'd never walk in, buy some food, get a bill three months later for somewhere between $10 and $100,000. So it doesn't make sense that we do it this way in healthcare either. And you've just completed a study, which I found fascinating, about the differences in healthcare costs across the country, state by state. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Yeah, we found that... The floor is yours. Oh, sorry. Um, Yes, we found that there were huge differences in healthcare uh, costs regionally. So um, New Jersey was the most expensive state and West Virginia was the cheapest state. And, you know, sometimes this the procedures costs varied by like about $50,000. So there are a couple reasons for that. Um, one is if you live in a state where the patients are not quite as fit, aren't in great health, then the same treatments end up being more expensive. Um, another reason is cost of living for shortages. If patients have difficulty finding a doctor, they may go to the emergency room, go to urgent care, um, other more expensive treatments. Well, so um, what what is the most expensive state in the union f- uh, for uh, health care costs on average? New Jersey. You really have not had to hurt a guy. What's the least expensive? West Virginia. But you don't measure the quality of care against those numbers. No, yeah, this doesn't necessarily correlate with quality of care. 
Um, you know, some in some regions people tend to do more testing than other regions. You know, a lot of that is because um, if the patient population tends to be, you know, not very fit, not very healthy, then they'll often do more tests because the people in that region tend to need more tests. Well, um, uh, what what is the second most expensive state? Second most expensive is California. Oh, okay. Well, John, you're in Chicago, so that's Illinois. Uh, uh, offhand, do you know where Illinois ranks? Yeah, that was the 13th most expensive. Oh, I would think it would be up there. Michelle, where are you based? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm in uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So that's Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania, yeah, that's number six most expensive. Well, you know, it, it, it's just fascinating about this. Um, uh, how does uh, Medicare, but uh, Medicare uh, costs are pretty much um, the same across the country? Am I right, uh, Diva? Yeah. So Medicare, um, Medicare has this kind of negotiating power that regular consumers don't have. We This um, study was based on the amount that hospitals bill, so that's how much an uninsured consumer would typically be charged. But mm. Medicare can negotiate that down, and they usually don't pay the entire bill. Mm. Well, uh, the statistic I know is that uh, uh, 80, uh, the 86%, 86 of Americans spend uh, less than $500 a year on medical and that the, the top 6%, if, the, if I remember the figures correctly, 6% uh, uh, of the Americans consume 90-plus 90, 90 percent of health care uh, resources. Um, uh, does it uh, vary by state? Uh, did, have you looked at figures like that? Yeah, I haven't looked at any regional variance in those figures, but... Yeah, it's it's very true. Um, we looked at four chronic conditions in this study. So, you know, things like asthma, diabetes, um, heart problems, these can make huge medical bills. And most of the population doesn't have these issues. Well, if, you know, uh, how do people, uh, can people find this study uh, online? Yeah, they can just go to uh, betterdoctor.com and um, look at our blog. Well, uh, John or Michelle, do you, would you have a question, Adiva? She, she seems to be a, a fountain of facts, and we all have questions about that. Sure. So, so your site is about just helping people find uh, the most cost-effective healthcare options. Is that what that's about? Yeah, so we help you find a doctor. So find a doctor who takes your insurance, who lives in your area, um, who has performed the procedure that you need many times before. We have data on how many times they've done this procedure and how much they charge for it. Yeah, we have. Is this any, any type of specialty you're looking for? Yeah, you can search based on the type of doctor you need, your location, and your insurance. Okay, that's great. And do you, you include uh, cost information for, for um, you know, popular procedures? Yeah, so we include cost information wherever we can get it. It's not, um, there's not a ton of data on it, but we have, the, um, we have procedure cost pages where you can look up common procedures and see how much it's charged, how, what the charge is for it in your area, what the average charge across the nation is, and you can see what doctors in your area have performed that procedure the most and how much they charge for that procedure. That's amazing. Yeah, because I think uh, so few people consider that. Um, you know, it, it's, so you know, uh, healthcare is so much not like a comparison shopping type of, um, you know, service, but it, and, it, and it should be. You know, there's, there's uh, very little resources that uh, people have to understand the scope and cost of, of something before they go into it. I think a lot of people don't even know to ask about how something, how much something will cost. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's awesome. Can you set up appointments on your site? Yeah, so you can set up appointments for a lot of doctors on our site. Not every single doctor, but the doctors that allow us to schedule appointments for them. Oh, we do that's online great. booking. We have an app as well. 
And you, you mentioned before that the you know just the variance in cost uh, from from state to state. Is there any other correlation? Is it uh, just the larger metropolitan areas are more expensive, or is um, is there some other factor? Is it uh, you know state by state regulations, or what do you think is the is the driving uh, factor behind uh, higher costs? Sure, there are a lot of factors. Um, one is just the health of the residents. So, um, you know, if uh, a lot of the residents are obese, mm-hmm. then the treatment tends to be more expensive. Mm-hmm. It's riskier. Um, another difference is doctor shortages. So if patients can't find a, a specialty doctor that they need, they'll go to a different specialist or they'll go to an emergency room. Those tend to be much more expensive. Um, also differences in the uninsured population. If there's a large population that's uninsured, those costs get kind of passed on to everyone else. Hmm. Yeah, and then also there's just geographic differences in the supply of medical resources and how likely providers are to, um, you know, use these resources to use financial payment incentives. Some regions, just the culture there is to do more tests. In some regions, the culture is to do fewer tests. Well, so that's interesting. So you, So the doctors that are on your site, do they pay a, do you, uh, do they have to pay a fee to be on your site? No, we list um, every doctor that we can find in the country, whatever data we can find on them on the site. Oh, that's great. I'm on your site now, by the way. <laughs> I just want to oh, say, I'm curious. It's, it's a great site, actually. It's really great. Yeah. Um, you can also, you can make an account and you can save your doctor, so... It's nice for families and parents. They can share it with each other, keep all the doctors on file. Yeah, I'm on here, and, and, you know, I'm just, like, looking through, and actually, you know, I just clicked on a doctor near me, and it says, book an appointment now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Diva, you really know your stuff. Um, I have one question. Uh, Uh I have one question for uh, each of you which is um, before when we look for a doctor we talked uh, uh, we talked to to our friends and family etc um, um, in business before we used to, we used to uh, uh, when we started out 15 years ago we did our first study of small business uh, the number one uh, way people chose was a referral of colleagues or, or uh, other people in the industry in terms of small business. When we did the survey this year, the, the number one uh, way was on the Internet, which wasn't surprising, but personal had dropped down to four. Now, uh, my question, uh, I'll start with you, John, because you've been in the industry as long. Uh, do you think it's a good or bad thing, or do you think it's just a trend that we have to accept? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's just another form of referral, right? So, um, you know, if you think about all these uh, rating sites and uh, like Yelp, uh, for example, as a way to find a business, uh, it's just an automated way to do the same thing. You're you're finding out a business through other people's opinions and um, and finding something that way. So the internet is really just facilitating more word of mouth. It's still it's still word of mouth. It's just happening uh over the internet. And I'd say it's a good thing. It raises the bar. Uh you know, think about a uh, better doctor. Um same thing, you know, now uh instead of just asking your friend, "Hey, by the way, did you have this procedure?" and you and you know, which doctor did you use? And if you're having a procedure that's, you know, not everyone has, the, the odds are you're not going to have someone in your immediate network that um they can they can give you a personal referral. Uh, now you have a whole database, and you can uh, you know you can search and compare and contrast. So I, I definitely think it's a it's a good thing. I, I think it's not a depersonalization of things. It's just um, the internet's a good medium for for um, for for you know looking up a broader network of referrals. Uh, Michelle, what do you think? Uh, I agree with that. I think that. Uh, you know, the only down. You know, the only thing that, which I guess, even if you did it word of mouth, you know, you you sometimes worry that you know, if somebody's 
he wants to sabotage somebody and goes on and does a rating and says something negative about you know your 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 business or you personally um you know then i think that becomes an issue that it's you know out there online but other than that you know i think it's i think it's great i mean it's it's a quicker way to get your information out there and your reputation out there um because they they did a study and i think it's yeah, you know, 80% of all consumers do searches on the Internet prior to purchasing something, whether it be a service, product, whatever. They will go online and search. And, Diva, what do you think? Uh, I agree with John that it's still referrals. It's just the Internet has expanded our social network to now include strangers. So you get these referrals from mm-hmm. strangers instead. And I do think that it can be helpful, especially in the healthcare industry, to have that level of anonymity that the Internet affords you. Um, you might not want to go up to your coworker right. and ask them about their colonoscopy. Right. You know, you might, you might want to keep that a little private. So it's nice to have a venue to yeah. do that where you can, you can ask these questions anonymously. Right. Um, I do think that the downside is that the focus on reviews has, kind of shifted the focus to bedside manner to, um, you know, is this doctor pleasant to be around? Are there, is their office staff helpful? Where it, the focus is not really on outcomes or on pricing or on the procedures themselves. So, you know, I would advocate a combination of those things. Like bedside manner mm-hmm. is definitely important, but it's important to, I think, look at some more data as well. And Do you have a, a criteria, like, you know, like when someone goes on and does a review, like I noticed some sites They'll ask you, you know, uh, are, were you a patient of this person? Mm-hmm. Before you can do a review, you know, they want to verify that you were a patient. Yeah. So we Is that actually what, did your site do that before, you know, they allow someone to go and post a review about somebody on there? So we actually currently do not have reviews. We have a... Um, the idea behind Better Doctor is that it doesn't really make sense to pick your doctor from, you know, three anonymous Yelp reviews if you're not even sure if these people were patients. So um, we have a data-driven approach that looks at about seven different factors, and it goes into our unique algorithm. So we look at how many referrals does um, this doctor get from other doctors? Uh, where, what's the quality of their medical school? How many years of experience do they have? Have they contributed to research publications? So we have a um, more data-driven approach on the site, but we are incorporating reviews as well in this um, the upcoming couple months. So we want to have two scores on our site. One is just the data-driven, you know, how good is this doctor on paper? How good is their resume? And then we want to have the review where you can say, how, you know, how pleasant is this doctor? How good is their office staff? Are they, um, do they have good bedside manner? Okay, so the stars that I see by a given doctor those are based on um, what you just mentioned, not per, not anybody else's reviews, personal reviews. Yeah, correct. Okay. Oh. Well, uh, Diva, again, uh, we're, we're, we're uh, coming to the end of the program. Your site again and how people can uh, reach you. Do you have a what? Website? Uh, your website again? Oh, it's betterdoctor.com. Okay. Um, Michelle uh, and Diva, thank you for coming. Michelle, um, how people can reach you? Um, MyUSAVirtualHelp.com. My toll-free number is 844-487-2827. And, and John, you've been on the program all uh, the whole hour plus. Uh, you get the last word. How people, your company, and how they can reach you? Yeah, uh, they can reach us uh, just at uh, www.hostway.com. We have all the information online there. Uh, you can look at our different solutions, and if you're uh, especially interested in e-commerce, uh, you can just click through. We have a whole section there that you can look at um, our different offers. And uh, thanks for. Uh, Having me on, Don, it was a, a great conversation and uh, interesting uh, group of guests. Uh, two other very interesting um, uh, businesses there. So, thank uh, you great, so great much topic. for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you all three for making what I think is a very interesting program. Thank you, and uh, have a good night. You do the same. Take you care. Too.
Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.